Good evening, I'm Zinati Guma and you're watching Stockwatch and joining me to wrap this week up are Dale Hutchison from APSA Asset Management and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Thank you to the both of you for joining us. Um, I want to look at what is happening in the market. So the first thing that I noticed when I opened my share net to look at how the JSC is doing today is that the miners have taken quite a beating. Dale, I want to start off with you. I mean, is this all a strong dollar story? I think it's got a lot to do with it, but the dollar is strong because I think the world is worried about inflation and global growth. And, you know, those aren't necessarily positive dynamics for, in particular, global growth that is under pressure. Um, it's not a particularly good dynamic for commodity demand. Um, and I think there's still uncertainty about the extent to which China is going to stimulate. Um, that will also be an overhang for the commodity complex. So it's a, it's a number of those factors that I think continues to weigh on sentiment in the commodity space. Yeah. Um, just on that, Tammy, and of course, one of the things that is spurring these uh, global growth concerns is the the hiking cycle by the uh, central banks. So we did have that inflation print coming out on Tuesday. Um, uh, high, well, higher than expected, although it still is a deceleration. And I'm wondering, on your side, I mean, just that looking at the market reaction on Tuesday, I think Wall Street had its worst day since June 2020. It was still a deceleration. So would you not say that that, that was maybe an overreaction or not? No, I think the market is pricing in future interest rate hikes. Uh, they are making adjustments now for what they foresee will be happening in the future. I think uh, we are all realizing that inflation is here to stay and it's not a demand side inflation story, it's a supply side inflation story. So as a result of that, it's not going to be easily solved by simply uh, putting more small, small measures in the interest rate side and having no fiscal uh, adjustments. So the market is just simply pricing in higher interest rate hikes and some form of fiscal intervention by governments which will mean by default they're going to have to borrow more and that interest rates are going to also go up on the bond side. So I think it's just markets being prudent, uh, investors being prudent and pricing in what they see in the next 12 to 18 months today. Mm. Another thing that I noticed when I opened up the JSC today was that 91 and Investec were um, some of the biggest gainers today. So they were in that five major moves in the green board. And the first question that popped up in my mind was what's happening in the UK? I'm not sure, Dale, if that was the right question to ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure on a day where they're up maybe a percent or so. You know, we're talking particularly big moves. They just probably stand out relative to other stocks, which are, are, are probably down a few percent. So yeah. I think that's that's worth noting. But I think, the, you know, if we look at the UK economy, there's there's certainly not a lot to get excited about there. Um, if anything, inflation is even a bigger problem in the UK than compared to the US. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of it's to do with energy, but... But it's, yeah, I think the macro picture for the UK is looking very, very tough. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, tell me, uh, what's your take on exposure to the UK at this point? Just today, we had retail sales that uh, surprised to the downside. We also had the pound sinking to uh, a 37-year low. I mean, lots of warnings coming in about a UK recession. So how are you taking in companies that have exposure to, to that economy right now? I was short the UK, basically. Uh, I think... Uh, them being outside the euro, whatever solution the Europeans come up with is not going to be easy for them. Uh, and we, we think that they're not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy for them to manage the inflation side of it, uh, especially given that a lot of their goods and services have been outsourced to other European nations. So I think uh, it's gonna, there's going to be some pain in the UK. Um, and uh, who knows, with Investec, maybe the king moved some assets that you recently inherited and banked them with investing. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at the questions that have come in. So uh, let's start off with Sasol. Uh, is Sasol a share to keep at current levels or hold? Um, Sasol, Dale, would this decision be based purely on your outlook for oil? At this stage, I think it would be. And you know, there is a, you could probably construct arguments on on why oil is going to rise further, and also why oil could come come off. I mean, the, the reason oil could fall is precisely around these global growth concerns and demand for oil being negatively impacted. But obviously, we've got a lot of geopolitics, in particular around Russia um, and OPEC Plus with respect to the supply of oil. And the, to the extent that there's disruptions caused to the display, dis, um, supply of oil around the world, Certainly, we could see pressure, you know, pushing oil prices higher. And that's what always makes it quite a challenging call to make um, at this point in time. Um, my, my gut tells me probably a bit higher for longer, but, you know, we're continually watching the, the, the extent that we're likely to see um, recessions around the world. Tell me, are you bullish or bearish on oil slash Sasol, or is it, as Dale said, difficult to call? Um, I agree with Dale, it's difficult to call, but with Sasol, it depends on your entry price. So if you came in at a, a good price when the share, the share was rather down, then I think it's a good, you continue to hold. But to enter now, is there's a, there's a higher probability of really entering into a volatile market. Um, oil is always going to be tricky because the biggest buyers of it at this point are going through a lot, which is the US and China. Um, so, so it's going to be a tricky affair going forward. Um, the EU is really going to take a beating around the oil and gas market that they've been tapped, they've been switched off from. So I think the long-term view of oil is always going to depend on the biggest buyers. And uh, the U.S. is largely independent. China is still figuring it out. So there's going to be some some value in the market for a while. But if if negotiations are reached and Russia comes back online, I think we're going to see that price drop. So uh, in our view, the, this circumstances will maintain this high price. Uh, however, um, when it comes to Cecil, it all comes down to what price you want to enter at. And at this stage, we believe it's just too, it's too late. It's, uh, you're going to get hit by a lot of headwinds and volatility. Yeah, all right. I hear you. Um, sticking with resources, there's another com uh, uh, question here. BHP has a PE of 6.38 and has a significant coal segment. Would this be a good buy in the current conditions? I mean, we had, I think, results out about... Two months ago from BHP, 
and that call segment was really a banger for profits and I, I guess also there isn't much pressure for them to to exit that business uh, with the energy crisis that's going on so um, Dale would you be entering BHP at this point if you're not already in yeah the, the these mining houses in particular obviously are the same for BHP it, it is a challenging call and it comes back to one or two comments I made earlier I mean these you know, it will depend on China's stimulus and it will depend on the extent that we see um, global growth um, decelerating. Um, but yes, when we look at the actual companies, um, they look very cheap. And that's normally, you know, commodity stocks look cheap at the top of the cycle. And that's mm. the concern one would have, that when you see them on very low PEs, it's certainly not normally the time to be buying them. The issue at the moment, though, is there's a lot of geopolitics that perhaps things can stay higher for longer on the commodity front. Maybe not. We've seen copper come off. Obviously, iron ores come off a bit. But you're, on the coal side, clearly, um, you know, the geopolitics around Europe has meant coal is likely to remain higher for longer. And you know, suppliers also being constrained in the commodity space. So. You know, it's always very cautious to say it will be different this time, um, but these stocks do look cheap. And um, I think you just have to be watching them very closely for how some of these global demand dynamics actually play out. Otherwise, they probably yeah, will be somewhere you have some of your money. Um, so obviously from this question, I sense that there's quite a lot of interest on the coal side. And I'm wondering um, if the investor is picking BHP because of its, you know, the diversiveness uh, of, of uh, the nature of, of, of the company, or if they, they would maybe want to go into coal. So, I mean, just at this point, if, if you're going to get exposure to coal, um, Tammy, would you go into a pure coal player or a diversified miner like BHP? Well, depends on the strategy. I think if you're just trying to take advantage of the coal demand that's currently happening, I think take exposure in the pure player. If you're trying to enter the industry as part of your diversified portfolio, then I'd go for the likes of PHP. But like as Dale said, um, the party's already started. Everyone is dancing. Um, the music is starting to slow and no one is noticing it. It's a very difficult thing to, to enter into a market when the prices are at their best. Um, this is a very big blip. Um, it may last longer than we may all anticipate. Uh, miners are going to benefit, especially the rand where it's at uh, with, with the dollar pricing. But the idea of investing is to enter at a good price. So you want to enter at a good price, hoping that and researching that the price of the commodities being traded are not at the peak. Uh, and I think at this stage, coal is really up there. Uh, and uh, I don't see a scenario in which it bursts the lights out any further. And so what's going to happen is that miners are going to have to push volumes. Um, and once that happens, then we have we, we walk into logistics cycles, supplies, tankers, uh, ports, slots, and so on and so forth. So I think um, it's at this stage, um, as Dale said, I don't think it's a good time to enter the resources space specifically. But if you're looking for a diversified play and you're trying to enter at the right price, um, BHP would be uh, my, my recommendation. All right. Uh, let's get into Metair. 
Um, uh, question here, MetAir posted a 74% knock to its bottom line yesterday and the share has been slightly under pressure since. Uh, is the panel worried at all about the hyperinflation story that's having an impact in its Turkey operations, Dell? Very clearly it is, a, is of concern. I mean, you know, if you looked, I, I feel a little sorry for Meta. They almost had a few perfect storms. You had KZN floods yeah. that impact vehicle production locally. Um, and, and obviously the whole global supply chain issue around vehicle production has had knock-on effects through their, their, um, through their business. You know, and one would, would have hoped to start seeing some recoveries um, you know, filtering through, um, and maybe it's just a little bit early in that space. I yeah. mean, obviously, you know, with all of those woes, um, there were some, some issues around some covenant breaches, etc. So I don't think you can say you can totally ignore it and not worry about it. Um, but one has to maybe have a closer look as to how maybe some of this progresses. And, and maybe there is some light at the end of the tunnel and you might be holding thumbs, it's not a train. Mm. Um, but, um, I, yeah, I would, I, I, would just, I would just say on the hyperinflationary front, yeah, unfortunately, that is a consequence of having operations in some of these countries. Mm, yeah. and, and it is always a challenge for the market to fully understand the dynamics and the accounting behind it. Um, mm. And it potentially means the results remain messy with that backdrop. On your side, Tami, um, how concerned are you about the hyperinflation in those Turkey operations? Dell has said that it takes a while for the market to kind of get used to the dynamics of, of you know, those accounting principles changing and all of that. Yeah, I think generally speaking, uh, when SA managers go sure, they don't really do well, generally speaking. Mm. Um, they, they they spend a lot of money and take a beating. Uh, but I think Mete's fundamental problem is supply. How are they able to get the goods they need from Port A to Durban or wherever else? And I think that's the cornerstone of their business. And until that is resolved, they're always going to face these type of headwinds. Um, Turkey is what it is. Um, we all know they're hyper-inflationary. We all know how their leader operates. So I don't think it's something that should shock us in one way or another. Yeah. But what we must be aware of is that the track record of SA managers offshore is horrendous. Uh, and as a result of that, any any sort of company that steps out into that space, you must add some kind of discount to them being able to be taken to the cleaners. You know, you look at a company like Mondi that is also exposed to Turkey and they've been there for quite a number of years and that doesn't seem to be a concern. Um, is it a case of maybe the market? I mean, Tammy says it is what it is. We know the hyperinflation story in Turkey. Is it the market now kind of on met air um, having to just get used to the way things are there just like Mondi, Dale? Well, I think it's a, it's a question of the relative size of exposure. I think in Mondi's case, Turkey is a, is a smaller component of, of their mix relative to a Mete, rather than, okay. I think, the market um, is comfortable with Turkey. Uh, uh, Turkey does have challenges and make any hyperinflationary environment, you know, and, and, and a central bank that behaves in the fashion that Turkey does, etc., does concern investors and make it difficult. Um, but it's just the size of, of exposures, I think that's important. Uh, all right. No, I completely get you on that point, Dale. Uh, there's a question here on food producers. 
Uh, Tiger Brands' recall misfortunes aside, why do food producers get so much flack? We still need to eat. <laughs> um, Tommy, you know, when I talk to, to you guys about food producers, it seems that the, the, the main thorn here is the input costs that they deal with and, you know, kind of questions on their ability to pass those costs on to consumers and, you know, how they're going to impact their margins. But uh, Lipstar released results on Monday and their margins seem to be uh, relatively kept steady. Uh, Rhodes Foods also came out with a trading update saying the same thing, although they are saying that they haven't been able to fully pass on those costs in some of the key product categories. So what's your take on food producers uh, at, at this point and, and some of the bad rip that they've gotten? Yeah, so, so they have to carry inflationary risks. Um, and, some, and food price inflation often differs from CPIX um, because CPIX is a basket. So food price inflation could be significantly higher. And then uh, secondly, as a, as a food producer, unfortunately, you produce perishable goods. So at some point, sooner or later... And the product you have uh, to a willing market. So I think the, the key issue that they face is that they have to get their product to the customer at speed and at scale. Um, uh, the, the real issue, again, with the consumer is that if the consumer is further squeezed, they make different food, food and lifestyle choices. Uh, they shop at different places, they buy different things, and they try and adjust their budget to suit that. So they will continue to face those. So they have to take some of that pain uh, inflationary-wise. And I think uh, when you look at them as a share, you have to acknowledge that some of the margins are going to be eroded by the fact that these guys have to take on some of the inflationary pressure. And some of that inflationary pressure is higher than the normal PI that we measure. Mm. Let's not go into fish because uh, that has its own problems. <laughs> but Adele, would you paint the food producers with the same brush? Or do you think that there are pockets of opportunity? Um, yeah, so just going into the, the ones that, that, that re recently had updates. So yesterday, Gary Boyson picked Lipstar as a stock pick, saying that it looks quite cheap and he likes the strategy refinement that they're going under right now. Um, from the trading update from Rhodes Food, the market really liked uh, those numbers. Uh, the share price was up 13%. Uh, I also read a, an article by Chris Gilmore saying that AVI is the best run food uh, related stock on the JSC. So would you be picking there or do you just want to stay away? No, I do think one, the market has started to look at the food producers just in the context that there were signs that food inflation was starting to ease. And obviously some of that was tied to the fact that, you know, some of the issues around grain exports out of, Ukraine, etc., East, etc., and those sort of dynamics do filter through. And you know, the, I think I hope that you know the base effects that have been created obviously mean going forward, food inflation um, becomes less of an issue. Um, and and therefore, I think the market was interested in buying some of these stocks because they certainly had been beaten up quite a bit. Um, but to some of the, the points Tommy made about the, um, the consumer environment. And that's where maybe trying to pick the best food producer, it's important, because some of them are going to be able to better respond um, to how this all plays out. Now, you know, it's going to depend on your commodity or your, your food basket exposures. You know, somebody like an AVI can be quite good and often seen as a, 
the premium food producer because they tend to be quite good at category management, mm. i.e. as that consumer tries to trade down from a higher you know, price point in the category, AVI tends to be able to have an offering that, that matches that. Um, and therefore, they, they, they can hang on to the consumer. Um, mm. you know, so, so certainly that would be seen as a quality one. Tiger Brands, you know, it's, it is a recovery story. So the extent to which you can see the recovery taking place, um, yes, there, 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 is some, there are some encouraging signs, but there are also still some significant challenges mm. for the business. Um, mm. So, you know, one would have to, to make assessments around that. I do think it does look interesting. Um, but you know, I, I still remain more, a little nervous the space given the, the broader macro backdrop. Mm. Um, if you guys are nervous about the general food producers, would chicken make you even more nervous, Tammy? Um, for example, you have RCL now, they, they're busy with the separation of, of Rainbow, and I think that's, that's returned to profit. And obviously one of the, um, the options for the separation is a JSE listing. Would you be looking at something like that or just you're, you're out? No, we would consider it. We would definitely consider it. Remember, it's not necessarily always about the product. It's about the operator. Okay. So you can have, you can have a great chicken business but have a terrible operator who can, or who can who, a great chicken product yeah. and then a terrible chicken operator. So part of these businesses are not just the fact that they produce great brands or great, great food. It's the other side. Can they do it profitably, efficiently, uh, within an affordable bracket for the consumer. So I think uh, in these sort of businesses, that's where the focus always is on the operational side because people are always going to want to buy food. right? So, but what's going to matter is can you run the business optimally? And so the operations are what always is under scrutiny, not necessarily the product. Uh, all right. I completely take uh, your point there. There's uh, Going into hospital groups, um, any particular reasoning behind life healthcare shedding 12% this week? Shouldn't healthcare be a safe place to hide in the macro, Dale? Um, yes, it generally should be um, seen as a, a bit more defensive. I suppose one's though looking at you know, something like a life healthcare. And I think the, the pace of the recovery post-COVID has just been slower than expected okay. you know, in terms of the number of surgical events and medical events. I think they're just not recovered to pre-COVID levels. And, you know, cost inflation remains you know, a headwind for every business. If you're not re recovering sufficiently at the top line, there are, there are headwinds. And, you know, the hospital groups do get squeezed by the likes of the Discovery, who has a lot of <laughs> bargaining power in the South African market. Um, so we'll, you know, I think they will have their time in the sun. It just feels like for now it's a very, very slow recovery. And I think maybe the market was just saying, viewers, we, we thought it'd be quicker. Let, let's rather sit on the sidelines a bit here. Yeah. Um, within that hospital group space, we have, we're going to have one less um, hospital group, and that's MediClinic. Um, do you think that now with the um, recovery not being as fast as we would have liked it to be, Tammy, that now is the right time for MediClinic to kind of get off the JSC? Yeah, I think if, if, if we look at the whole medical sector in general, I think what, what we're looking at and what we're finding is that there are smaller operations that are taking away slices of the business. So day clinics are, are starting to take away slices of those businesses, uh, small overnight hospitals, 
uh, more mobile hospitals and so on and so forth. So smaller, smaller businesses are, are taking up uh, pieces of the market away from the bigger conglomerates. So they're facing those kind of headwinds because they've got a much larger cost base. So if, if I'm Mediclinic Management, go off, go off the JSC, sort out uh, our, our operating side, get ourselves profitable again, then look at coming back. Uh, at this stage, it's just a very competitive environment. Um, the consumer doesn't have as much disposable income. Um, and there's now very viable alternatives than coming to a, a hospital. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think those are the concerns that they face and the headwinds they'll continue to face. All right. We have run out of time, so let's get to your stock picks, Dale. Yeah, I proposed AECI. It's one of those SA industrial stocks that recently has been under a bit of pressure. I think, you know, post results, we did see earnings were up, but there was maybe slight disappointment in, in how, you know, maybe mining volumes, given weather conditions, et cetera, in SA had weighed upon things. Um, but nets, it's trading on probably a seven and seven and a half times forward PE on an eight percent dividend yield. It just looks cheap, and and therefore, it's my pick for today. All right. Uh, what's yours, Tommy? I'm across the ocean. I'm in Australia. Evolution Mining. Um, they're doing well in the gold, and I think it's a view of the Australian investor of gold as a safe haven. Um, they're performing well. The stock keeps going up. Uh, and as you know, I'm very big on resources and natural resources in general. Mm. So um, evolution mining. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time today. Uh, that's it for Stockwatch this week. Thanks to my guest, Dale Hutchison from Absa Asset Management and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. From Izanati Kuma and the rest of the team, have a great weekend. <laughs>